0: Greetings, fellow imps. I'm imp fossil Tom Hensky, and I'd like to welcome you to From Nowhere to Now Here, where incarnate memories prevail. Like many incoming first years, I entered the University of Blank Canvas. You get it, nowhere. But four years later, I grew to Now Here. And when I look back at that transformation, it was the friendships that I built through the Imps that were a huge part of that growth. But where did everyone end up? I'm going to take us on a journey to find them, to catch up with the friends we've lost touch with. And in doing so, my mission is to rekindle these amazing relationships. IMP Nation, welcome back. What's happening? Got a great one for us today. Before I introduce him, I want to give you a text that was sent to me from (coughs) one of our fellow IMPs talking about Ted, and I think it summed it up perfectly for me, and I asked his permission for it, so here it goes. It said, he was a great teammate, great friend, a great leader, and just one of the guys that is pure gold. He was my brother, my roommate Bert, both first year and then on the road for three years. There's not many of them out there, but he is one of them. Love me some TJ, my brother, my roommate, my friend. And then he went on to say, tearing up as I write this, I love that guy. (laughs) Our very own Chris Havlicek, man, it's like, and I, I just couldn't write it any better than that. Ted Jeffries, what's up, my man?
1: What's going on, Hensky? How you doing, man? So happy to be on here. Thank you, Chris Havlicek. One of the funniest guys that I've ever known. Heart of gold. Always kept me in stitches. Uh, So many great memories with, you know, he and his family. Uh, Our first year, it was the perfect roommate for the start of my UVA career. So let's
0: talk about that, right? So the math of high school right in maryland right it's Mm -hmm. in maryland
1: yeah highestville maryland
0: then you wind up getting the grounds uh and rooming with chris havelicek gosh i'm not quite sure how that would be but but before you get into that where else were you looking besides uva so uh, let's
1: let's back up a taste there was you skipped a step because i graduated to Matha at 17 years old um so The parents were a little bit worried. You know, I I had already signed my letter of intent to attend UVA, but at 17, they said, are you ready for the rigors of UVA, so on and so forth. Looking at the landscape on the basketball team, they just brought in two JUCO transfers, Brent Dabbs and Curtis Williams, that were going to occupy the paint. So we opted to go to Fork Union Military Academy for a year. So the PG year at Fork Union Military Academy was the real Uh, I'll say game changer for me um, as far as maturity and things of that nature. Um, But then I ended up over at UVA. So I had already spent two summers by the time I attended, uh, by the time I enrolled at UVA, our first year. I had been there the summer before pre-G year and then the summer before our freshman year or for, you know, our uh, first year. And uh Chris and I got a chance to hang out during the summer. And, you know, we saw the list. And I was actually supposed to be roommates with Terry Kirby uh, uh my first year. And, I, and and if you talk to Kirby right now, he'll tell you, and we'll both say the same thing, it was such a good, good move that we weren't roommates that first year. Because we would have probably hated each other that first year. First year is always tough, you know. And uh ironically, Kirby and I became roommates for the next three years after our first year, so go figure. But no, uh, Chris and I spent a lot of time working out uh, together in the summer. Uh, before our first year, we were both there for the summertime. Worked at Lakeland Tours, you know, getting a chance to work I, up in Northern Virginia.
0: Yeah, that BS excuse for work. <laughs>
1: hey, I, I think- do you, try, you try working a night shift the, you know working the uh, graveyard shift at uh, from nine till five in the morning that is not an easy task, my friend.
0: I heard the stories of that man. That was like ten o'clock to like at night to six o'clock in the morning. There were naps going on there. there,
1: was, oh, there was. I was oh. I was never caught on film, so I can neither confirm nor deny those those naps.
0: That was like lots of not working going on. That's like a job, like putting on the the sprinkler system, and it's on an automatic sprinkler, right?
1: That first week is hell. Trying to get on that on that on that nocturnal shift. Hensky, I tell you what, man, it was it was a lot of good times, a lot of fun memories. I did my first uh, tobacco dip with Doug Smith. There, he you know hooked me up with a little bit of Copenhagen. Started me off on Kodiak, and you know I had no idea why I tried this. Never been, yeah, you know, I guess curiosity. But then he he graduated me to Copenhagen, and I wanted to die. I really did. I was just like, you know what, Lord, take me now. I'm good. Had a good run. It was awful.
0: I mean, what, what's up with the substance abuse problems of our imps? The last episode, I had Graham Lizer who was distributing PEDs to the swimmers, and now you're using tobacco, chewing tobacco to enhance your performance. Man, <laughs> you have freaking issues, man. Try, try, you, know,
1: we, we, you know, we have won the honors of honors at uh, UVA. So, you know, we've gone through a, a particular regimen. We drink like fish. You know, we, we've, we've got our issues, and we all deal with them how we deal with them.
0: <laughs> all right. Well you, you turned out all right. So I'm not gonna hold it again. I'm hanging in there. So so okay, so now you get to grounds. Where where were you living? You knew Tuttle. Oh Tuttle.
1: Tuttle. Yeah. One 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 ten, one eleven, something like that. You remember the
0: room? Man,
1: that's <clears throat> insane. I I well I don't know that I do. I'm struggling trying to remember. I, Tuttle one
0: ten, I think it was. Okay, that's like that that's in her that's that's next level. That's that's different level. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah okay, so you get in the dorm, and what's going on and did you fit in those beds I mean I, I think those beds... uh, you know it was a twin bed
1: you know i, I think I had a uh extra length on the end of it, maybe that was fourteen, and I don't remember that part. I know I did at fourteen and I don't recall having that, so it was fetal position most most nights in there when you know when you're sleeping in in a tunnel so
0: you ever bang your head on the wall walking in the ceiling
1: not on purpose,
0: no, you got a duck.
1: Yeah, no, I was God rest his soul, but Big Sean had more of an issue, uh, Big Sean Wilson, uh, than I would with regard to hit my head. Maybe in a door jam, if you don't you know, if you don't uh duck your head down a little bit.
0: Yeah, in Thomas Jefferson's era, those people were short, right? Yeah, yeah. They weren't they weren't expecting a guy. Well,
1: Tom Jefferson was apparently a tall guy for his, you know, for the time period. So I can only imagine Abe Lincoln probably looked like you know, Ralph Sampson walking through the crowd in comparison.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny. When I've seen pictures of Ralph, he reminds me of Abe Lincoln. That's funny. that He's got a little
1: Abe Lincoln look to him, doesn't he? That's a little cool. darker version, Sicilian.
0: <laughs> <laughs> not even go in there, man. All right, so tell me about your first year, because you had a little bit of prep, you know, with your PG stop. So what was, what was that feeling like?
1: Yeah, you know, the goal for me, Tom, was to – I knew I had an opportunity – Brent Dabbs, who I mentioned earlier, had a great year, but ended up transferring out and ended up going to Rutgers. Curtis Williams never really materialized. You know, I think the work ethic issues and God rest his soul never liked to talk ill of the dead. Great guy, um, but he never materialized at UVA. So there was a wide open door between Sean Wilson and I, who are both first-year players, and Jeff Daniels, who was a fifth-year senior. And I, you know, I said, look, I got a pretty good shot of starting here if I go out and bust my tail. So, yeah, I, I just, you know, laser focused on trying to do the right things, show up every day, work hard and, you know, let the rest, you know, let the chips fall where they may. And sure enough, uh, right before our exhibition down in um, in Faison, North Carolina, we were scrimmaging a, a Army team down there where Anthony Oliver's from. And uh, Terry Holland gave me the nod, said, I'm going to be starting. I remember... Brian Stiff leaned over and he said, congratulations. This is right before the announcement. We're in the, you know, Terry's getting ready to do his pregame talk. And Brian Stiff leaned over and he said, congratulations, you're about to be the whatever number uh, starter as a freshman in UVA history. And I was like, whoa. I mean, the number wasn't that big. It was double digits, but it wasn't like, I want to say it was like 14 or 15 as a freshman to start. And I was like, pretty impressive.
0: Wow. So does that um, place you as one of the all time leaders in games played? Probably something like that.
1: I am, you know, right now, because Coach Bennett and his programs, you know, his years as a head coach, they play so many more games because they go so much further than that. So guys get, you know, more games played. But I played in every game and I started all but two. So I never missed a game and I started it all but two. The only two games that I did not start were my first and second year on senior night.
0: Oh, see, I was going to guess that maybe you got in trouble.
1: No. Oh, so where are you putting me? I've never got in trouble with you yet. Never got caught. That's the, uh, never got caught.
0: <laughs> yes, I like that you changed that to never got caught. <laughs> then I would have had to remind you of a couple of things, which I won't do. <laughs> and here's the thing. I had a healthy fear of
1: my parents. So, like... Mom and dad showing up down in Charlottesville because I did something stupid. You know, you can kind of write things off as, you know, you, you know, when they say uh, youth is wasted on the young, we make dumb decisions and make mistakes. Luckily I, the mistakes that I made never showed up in the public. I, outside of my friends and family and stuff like that goofing off and never disgraced the university or, you know, my family. So That was always, you know, the frontal lobe, making sure I didn't screw it up.
0: Yeah, and I joke around about it, but for real, you were as leader as leader gets. So, Oh, man, I appreciate that. That's, uh, you know, all joking aside, there's no doubt about that in anyone's mind. (laughs) So so tell me then, what was going on? How was school, the adjustment to the academic part?
1: Same thing, same type of focus. You know, I was really just... Because I did the year at Fork Union, it gave me an additional confidence. I had never been on anybody's dean's list or honor roll at Damatha, just not because I wasn't smart I and was, I was just a lazy student. So the discipline came when you have mandatory study hall for, for two hours a day at Fork Union. Um, you know, every evening you're you know, just kind of quiet, focused, no distractions. And then I was on, you know, uh, Dean's list and honor roll every, you know, every quarter at Fort Union. So now I have a new sense of confidence about me academically, and uh, you know, I did well. I was, you know, I was no brainiac like a Hensky, you know what I mean? But uh, I, you know, I did well. Never in academic, you know, trouble, and I just worked my tail off. That was that pretty much sums up who I am as a as an individual. Just working your tail off. a little bit of an adjustment. You know, with uh, they told me what a gut, you know, taking biology with 101 was going to, Dr. Deal was going to be a gut. I was like, hell no, this class is hard as hell. But uh, I got through, you know, but, you know, it, it just took hard work to get through.
0: Hey, speaking of Professor Deal, did you go on that summer?
1: No, yeah. no, no. I, I think the, the the bio to the, the, the reef or whatever. No, I passed up. But well, I think Doug Smith went on that thing.
0: Oh, you had a whole bunch of people. Yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. And I want to say either Crawdy or Stiff might have gotten on one of those too.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think I think Karate and Stiff might have gone. Um, karate I can see definitely be Stiff. I don't even know if B. Stiff can swim. Well, you know.
0: It's that was my uh, after you guys did that. I got the tip to do it, and no basketball player was looking to do it the year I wanted to go. Uh huh. And I remember you had to go interview with Dr. Deal. And mm-hmm. Basically, he looked at me, he looked at my transcript, he looked <laughs> at me, he looked at my transcript, and he said, Tom, you seem like a really nice guy. I'm struggling with this one because I don't <laughs> think in one science class since you've been here at the university. And I said yes, I have. He goes, where? Show me. And I said, how things work. Yeah. <laughs> the physics class? How yeah, yeah, work. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: So yeah, so I remember Doctor Deal. I did get on the trip. So there to uh, back you up on that. A lot of swimming on that one.
1: Yeah, yeah. Doctor Deal, awesome guy. Yeah, I mean, I used to just stop by his office just to have. Conversations. He was a huge basketball fan, you know, looked out for the team, Uh, you know, great guy. And fortunately, great story though. Chris Havlicek and I, first year, you know, we both kind of were challenged in that class, Uh, you know, no shock there. We are at the dorm, we have been studying in the morning. Eric Emler walks past and he comes by. Emler says, Hey, what did you guys think of the final? And we were like, What final? It's like biology. Like it was this morning. Like we knew it was that day, but we had it at a different time. Totally blew the final. We just we grabbed whatever we had. We were like in shorts. We just hauled ass across. You know, it was the direct shot across. You know, the grounds right there. And we were in in a panic. We were just like, Doctor Dill, we're so sorry. Who our the TA was at the time. We were panting. You know, ah, 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 we're so sorry. We missed it. We thought it was. It. Hey, hey, relax, relax. Gave us the test. Say, you know, do this on your honor. You know, go take the test and, and then bring it back. And was fine. We were like, we could do that. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. We can, We didn't have to be perfect. <laughs> Thank you so much. Needless to say, uh, less stress about that whole deal and then graduated, I mean, excuse me, graduated, passed the class with flying colors after the exam.
0: Okay, cool. So then you're playing basketball, you're in school. At what point do you decide you were gonna do the rhetoric rhetoric and communications like path, right? Cause that's where you went. That's how you, you graduated.
1: Yeah, RCS major. Um, here's the funny thing. I always wanted to be like, a DJ, like a radio DJ talking on the radio. Don't know why I was like big fan. I don't just listening to the radio all the time. I was like, damn, that seems like a cool job. Talk about news, talk about fun stuff. And, you know, I thought radio announcing, broadcasting. I thought that was going to be the route that I was going to go. Uh, so I, I was just in RCS, Radio Communications. My mom at the time worked for the FCC. She spent 40 years with the FCC and, you know, communications, telecommunications. So there was some influence there. Um, I, I mean, just, I'm just a guy who just likes to run his mouth, you know, so uh, it, it just seemed like the great fit.
0: So, are you jealous of your former teammate Yuri? Ba- Yuri, who's at YB, isn't he doing DJing now or something?
1: Well, like that? yeah, he's he's just so talented, though. You're, you know, he's way more talented. He was super athletic. So, yes, I'm absolutely jealous of a lot of my teammates. These guys came in with their own unique talents. I have my own, but I wish, you know, if I could play Doctor Frankenstein, like you know, I'd take a little piece of uh, DNA from all these guys. that have done very well. YB is a very good DJ. As a matter of fact, some of our, uh, I I do alumni parties uh, called um, the BBS on the road. So people who know about the black bus stop at UVA, uh, I, I titled these parties the BBS on the road. We take them, we have not yet been able to do it on the road because of COVID, but we've done it here in DC two or three times. And uh I brought Yuri on to do some of our virtual parties during COVID. And he's got a he's got a great fan base.
0: What what was the name of that building by the bus stop that you had all the parties in? Do you remember what that was?
1: Oh no, that that's not the where the you know, so there's Newcomb Hall. We there were parties there. There was the SAB. Yeah. Uh, okay. The student activities here, yeah, but the the Black bus stop is right outside of McIntyre. School of Commerce.
0: Oh, oh, well, well, I got it. Yeah, yeah,
1: right there Central Grounds. You know the the hub. So that's where we would all they would, everybody said meet me at the BBS, which is Central Grounds, and everybody knew where it was. <laughs> so now you're now you're educated, Tom. Consider yourself you have a probationary uh, black card with the African American community at yet.
0: Well, I mean, I'm kind of thinking like, what other podcast host? We <laughs> parlay your desired today with talking about YB. I mean, yeah. how, how many people could come up with that?
1: I mean, it's a unique. You have a unique talent, Tom. You, you might you you wasted your time for twenty seven years with your last company when you could been doing this for a long time.
0: Well, you know, the good news is that I'm not going to get replaced as the Imp Podcast. So. <laughs> <laughs> you have.
1: And, and you understand branding and marketing. You have found your niche market and you have, you know, you have set up a, a, a trailblazer in this market right now.
0: I, I've got sick job security. <laughs> sick. <laughs> sick. <laughs> it's, and and, and I could get paid this amount of money for the Imp podcast and have the job security. It's like mind blowing.
1: Well, you know, you're straight right now until some of these millennials before they hit the fossil status, They might jump in here and get into a a younger demographic because I don't know how far down you've been able to go. So watch out. People are always nipping, you know, nipping at the bud to try to get the big dog. So,
0: well, you know, you can't go too young because I always joke that those young guys, they don't know crap. You haven't, like, you're five years out of college. You haven't experienced anything. You need to get hit in the head a couple times to be a guest on this podcast because that's what makes it interesting.
1: There it is. There it is. That is a great point. But, you know, heaven forbid they get one of these young gunners that go out to, you know, Silicon Valley strikes it rich. And now he's uh, telling us all how to run the world and got a great story to tell. So you never know. There's always competition out there, buddy. Bring it. Bring it. Uh, My vote, I'm backing you all day long. That's right. All day long.
0: That's right. I got at least another two years in the season.
1: <laughs> <laughs> if, if that's sick, you know, job securities, let's go with it. That's right,
0: <laughs> all right. So, so I don't kill the audience <laughs> with <this. laughs> So, all right. So then you're playing basketball, you're doing your communications thing. Like, did you have a feel after college what you might want to be doing? Did you, I mean, don't yet oh. what you're doing now, but did you like have a feel like this is the path I'm headed? Oh, there was
1: no doubt in my mind that I was going to be a professional basketball player of some sort. Like, you know, I just that was just my goal. So, you know, it was working towards that end. And for me, so I've had family members that have played overseas in the NBA. I've had friends, you know, colleagues, all of that. So, you know, you you, you kind of take an assessment. I said, you know, obviously I'm not a, a lottery pick, but I'm good enough to make somebody's NBA squad. You know, and uh, and I'm definitely good enough to play overseas. And you can parlay that as long as you, you know, as long as you want to, as long as you, you know, have, still have the interest, keep your body in shape and things of that nature. And, you know, we were always fortunate at UVA to have some guys come back and kind of educate us. We had the Mark Ivoronis of the world, Andrew Kennedy, Mel Kennedy, Rick Carlisle would come back. You know, some some of the pros that were getting it done overseas and it kind of helped paint that picture. So for me, professional meant, meant paid to play. And I knew I was good enough to do that and just continue to work hard towards that goal. I had a, I had a good workout with the Celtics after um, I didn't get drafted in summer 93, but like 15 minutes after uh, the draft went off, um, Clarence Gaines, his father's – Clarence Big House games used to coach at Winston-Salem State, legendary coach. Uh, Clarence was a scout with the Bulls at the time. And he gave me a call. We talked and I had talked to them. I interviewed with the Bulls um, during the NBA draft camp, uh, Portsmouth Invitational and, and Clarence, you know, he said, look, we want you to come to camp. We think you're a really interesting player. We like your work ethic. And then my agent called the next day and we had about 14 different teams that were interested in me coming to camp. So it's just about finding the right place that doesn't have a player or there's some room for you to be a power forward or center in the NBA um, and where your best opportunities were. So I chose the uh, Boston Celtics and the Chicago Bulls, uh, tried out for both of those teams, really had a good showing with the Celtics, and uh, ended up at the end of the summer. um, Reggie Lewis had passed away that year, unfortunately. And when I talked to the brass But the Celtics, they said, you know, Ted, we like you a lot. We really think you had a great camp. Uh, They had just drafted A.C. Earl that summer played at Iowa, and they were looking for somebody to kind of beat him up every day. You know, so I'd have been like, you know, somewhere between 10th and 12th man on the team. But I wanted them to put some skin in the game if they were that serious. I knew I had, you know, opportunities to play overseas and contracts, you know, getting contracts all the time from teams overseas. You know, I've, I've always been the guy asking that watch guys in the NBA turn down millions of dollars. And I was like, there's no way in hell. I don't care what my scenario is. I'm, I'll never forget, Derek Coleman turned down $90 million for a 10-year ten, ten contract with the Nets. And he said, no. I'm like, are you kidding me? $90 million, that's a game-changer for anybody. And he turned it down. But he had the ability to do something. He could do that.
0: Remind me, though, what did he – why was he turning that down? I don't remember.
1: He didn't want to be in New Jersey. Oh. He didn't want to be with the Nets. <laughs> yeah, he didn't. He didn't like the administration there. He didn't like the the coach. He and Bush Jefferson, I think Butch, not Butch Jefferson, what was the coach's name. Butch uh, was it Reynolds? Anyway, coach there. Story, you know, classic story. He's getting on. Uh, so they implemented this dress code. Um, for the team, not the NBA at the time. The team had a dress code, so when you showed up at the planes and the games, you had to be dressed in suit and tie, whatever. Derek, they, Or oh, they're going to find you. Derek Coleman shows up in a sweatsuit, hands Coach a blank check for the season. <laughs> it's like, I'm not wearing the suit and tie. So find me all you want. Here's a blank check. Just write it up. That's it.
0: That's it. That's right. classic. I want to have enough money to just hand a blank check.
1: That's the F you money. That's the F you money. You can do what you want to do.
0: That's awesome.
1: Yeah. So, so, so then what happened? Yeah. So uh, I ended up choosing to go overseas. They, they didn't put any skin in the game because Boston didn't because uh, of the Reggie Lewis situation. I said, Tim, we got to find somebody who can give us 20 and 10 a game. I said, yeah, that's not me, so I understand that. And I, and I knew guys around that are contemporaries of mine that were getting $75,000, 100000 whatever kind of investment money, I would call it, um, in them to come to camp because they were going to be losing out on opportunities overseas. So put $50,000 in, in the account, and I'm like, okay, they're vested. And if I if I don't make the team or whatever, I still got a little bit of pocket money and then you go overseas. Well, you know, hindsight being 2020, if you knew then what you knew now, you know, I'm a kid fresh out of college, no, you know, I have no bills whatsoever. My, you know, little truck I got when I was in college, paid for. Um, you know, I was on scholarships, so there was no money to pay back to the university. I should have just gone, you know, and then if you don't make the team, then you go overseas. But, like I said, I was a kid on the couch. It's like I'm not turning down, and i the opportunity to make a hundred thousand dollars or more as a
0: you know twenty one year old kid, all right, I'll take the one hundred thousand, but yeah. uh, I mean, come on, like you're you know twenty one years old or whatever it is, right? That's how your brain is thinking. But yeah, that's how everyone's brain is thinking. <laughs> So then, okay, like that ended. Yeah. Oh, was that hard for you? It was, no, because
1: I always had an exit strategy. You know, this this is, you know, you have the business mentality. You know, when it was winding down, and you kind of know your body and the fatigue. And, you know, I've got family. So my grandmother has lived with me all of my life. Um, so you know, I, I recognize she was getting older and I'm spending nine months out of the year overseas and you, and you, you, have the conversations, but you know, when somebody grows up in your house like that and you spend the time. So for me, it was just like, I never, from the beginning, I never wanted to be the guy who was just kind of, you know, let me latch on with another one more team so I can, you know, get this much money. And I just, you know, I want to hang on. I love the game. I love playing it, but I knew it was the end game to it at all. It comes to every athlete. And I just wanted to be ahead of the game to be able to do what's next. And I knew if i never made the NBA that I was going to have to work. But it would like whatever I made would just kind of help me get ahead of the game. It would never be able to retire me at, you know, 30 years old. Um, and and that, that's exactly how it played out. I played eight years. I started looking at the landscape. I started thinking about missing out on family. I felt like I had a good nest egg. And I said, "Well, you know what? Let me kind of start my transition." And I thought coaching was going to be the next thing for me, and eventually, it did happen for
0: me. And how involved were your parents? Uh, you know, your family with yeah. you know all these decisions. Were you were you active consulting them, or were you just your own guy going you know full steam ahead? You knew where you were headed.
1: Yeah, you know. So, grew up. My parents were divorced growing up. Well, separated for the most of my, most of my young life, and. Um, but both very much involved, but just from separate separate areas. So it's almost like good to have, n- not like joint forces with regard to this, like having two consultants to do it through different areas. Um, that, maybe that's a, a silver lining for me in, in the fact that you grew up in a household of separated parents. But mom was always the, she still is, you know, one of my closest advisors. Whenever I want to get some advice on any issue, I always talk to her first. Now, my dad is since deceased, but, you know, for I, I had a different perspective from him, too, um, before he passed. Um, so, yeah, they've always been involved and and always given me great advice in, in, in two uniquely different ways. Because like, they have different backgrounds and they brought their own different experiences. So I, I felt like I had a wealth of information coming from both of them.
0: And uh, any siblings?
1: Younger sister. And she is by far the most talented Jeffrey uh, of all the Jeffrey siblings um, in my family. It's just two of us. So she's, she's number one. She is uh, Mensa smart and a phenomenal mom. She is, uh, she's a, a great, I always call her my big sister um, because she's always acted as if she was my older sister and she's very protective of her brother.
0: She taller than you? No, much better looking. No, much better looking than me. The bar is kind of low.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, let's face it. She had nowhere else to go but up. She had all the, you know, just enter her name in that context. She was.
0: It's because that we have to make this audio only in that video. Right? <laughs>
1: I have a face for radio. What can I tell you? <laughs> <laughs> walked into that one, walked
0: <laughs> And then, so you're getting into the work world, and is now is this where at the time it was Virginia student
1: that that was the hardest shit in the world, to be honest with you. That was the hardest stuff in the world because Tommy, I mean, everybody was you know singing these accolades, even you know. Going, he said, "Man, just to look at your background, Ted. You went to, you know the 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 Mecca in D.C. You went to the Catholic High School, played for legendary Hall of Fame coach Morgan Wooten. You went to Fort Union Military Academy, one of the premier uh, postgraduate programs in the country, definitely on the East Coast. You played for, God rest his soul, uh, Fletcher Eric, uh, you know, Hall of Fame coach in the state of Virginia. You know, then you played for Terry Holland and Jeff Jones. Again, both Hall of Famers in their own rights, you know, great X and O guys, you know, you've got, and you graduated from the University University of Virginia, one of the top universities in the country. You have an excellent background. You're affable, you, you know, you know how to, and you're very engaging, you're a nice guy, you know. All of this is gonna play well when you make that transition. Tommy so I mean, had no idea how to network and get into those places. And if it was up to me, every university would make networking a it should be you should be able to you should be able to graduate you there should be a concentration in networking because most of the jobs that i've gotten throughout my career has come because i know somebody that was able to help green light that position with somebody who was in a position to hire
0: oh yeah i mean think about that like i've been thinking about that networking too right so and I was talking to Bo Greenwood, uh, the other day or mm-hmm. maybe months ago, actually on this topic. And we were talking about like the, imps, the mm-hmm. imps and I'm wondering to myself, why don't the imps have a clear path to networking through the imp fossils? Mm-hmm. So there, There's no reason why. I mean, think about it like this, Ted, if you got a call from a 21 year old kid who's just graduating the university who starts off by saying, hi, Mr. Jeffries, I'm John Smith and I'm a current imp at UVA. I want to get into broadcasting or whatever it is. Can, right. Can I pick your brain a little bit, sit down and take you out for a cup of coffee to kind of just get a feel as to what I should be doing. The chance of you saying no is zero. Exactly. Right. But, exactly. Like, right. But you need to know who to call and how to do that. And how did what's the intro look like? And right. like, I, I, when I started doing this podcast, I said, wow, we should probably get the younger imps to just connect in."
1: Sometimes it takes the older, older imps to, to be able to tell them what they don't know and how easy, how much easier that road to be with people who have connections, because I really think that's the, that's the key to advancement. I mean, being who you are is great. And, and having being of good character, you know, good name is worth more than gold. You know, but being able to connect you, if you're throwing your resume in off the internet, you're going in a pile of resumes that nobody has asterisks, nobody has put to the top of the list, and nobody's put it in front of the right person to help green light you for this position. That comes with networking. That comes with finding out who knows somebody who works with that organization um that can help me get in the door and shine better than everybody else in the country.
0: So now you went into a profession where networking is like the first, second, and third most important thing on the list. So then take us down the road that you went.
1: So uh after about a year of just enjoying the fruits of my labor, you know, sort of like what you're doing right now. You know, I I decided that, you know, I do want to get into coaching. So one of my – I'm working at my high school coaches basketball camp in the summer, uh, Morgan Wooten's basketball camp, and uh, we're up at uh, Frostburg State University. And my former JV and varsity coach up until my junior year has now gotten – he's now been the coach at Coastal Carolina University. So you know, we we talked. We've you know seen each other in passing over the years, but you know, always great um, communication. And he he said, I told him that I'm, looks like I'm gonna make this transition out of basketball, and I think I'm gonna I want I want to start coaching. And he said, you know, Ted, I'll be honest with you, I've got a position open right now, and I think you, I think ultimately you'd be great. Now we have gone the whole week of coaching. I think he's kind of watching me to figure this thing out. And by the end of the camp, he he said, Ted, I think you'd be great. I'd love to fly you down, see what your thoughts were. You know, and he said, I'll be honest with you. I don't know what you made as, you know, as a, a, a professional player, but I don't know that I'll be able to pay, pay you what, you know, you made this. So that I want you to keep that in mind as you consider coming down. So, you know, we kind of talked about it and I said, well, And I I talked to other people in the business and I said, Ted, this is usually how it works. And, and for me, that was a tough, that was a tough pill to swallow, Tommy, because again, people have been gassing me up saying, you know, you come from this, you come from that, you know, you played here, you've got the pedigree, you're, you know, you played professionally overseas, tried out with NBA teams played against some of the greatest players to play this game in this era. And, you know, I come out making a third of what I was making overseas my first year. And I was like, "Like, I take the job, you know, I said, right, I'll do it for the coaching experience. And and that's what you need. You need to, you know, everybody thinks they're a great coach. Everybody thinks they're a great GM until you have to get in there and figure it the hell out. Um, so, you know, I cut my teeth in coaching and scraping the bottom of the bell and, I did it for three years, two years at Coastal Carolina, and then I took a job at College of William and Mary. And I, I just found myself more often than not thinking, I just said, you know, I was jealous of guys who had less of a pedigree than I did. Probably just started out, never played the game, but were just workaholics, got with the right coach, and now they're sitting on the bench. And used to see these guys out on the recruiting ter- trail. They're at Louisville or they're at, you know, this big name school where I thought I should be, where I thought I should have been over this guy. But they put in time. When I was playing ball overseas, I did my time in a different direction, but they were in that coaching realm. They had earned the trust of the head coach. And that's what I had to learn about this business. Again, networking and being able to say that these guys, you know, I coached under this guy and that head coach, green-lit a position for you at another place. So ultimately, I stepped away from it. I, I didn't feel like I was in control of my own destiny. I knew that I had more to to offer in this, in this um, occupation, but I couldn't get there. And you know, I couldn't get to the ACC school. I couldn't get to the top five school. And, and I was impatient, you know? I don't want to spend my life making a third of the salary that I had worked, you know, and you're, you're, you're working your tail off and you, and the money makes the money makes a difference. Don't get me wrong. Otherwise you wouldn't be gunning for those top assistant jobs. And you would, you would stop working a lower level job if you're heading into your thirties and forties, you're not going to make, you know, $35,000 as a coach just for the love of coaching this sport. Um, Maybe unrealistic expectations on my part, but I definitely don't regret betting on myself saying, if I'm going to earn a living, go out and earn a living. And it doesn't necessarily have to be in basketball.
0: As you're going through that, it seems to me that most people, that would be like a huge, like looking back at your life, a huge point of struggle, right? Because you're questioning in your mind what your abilities are. And mm-hmm. then at that given moment didn't seem to be matching the offers and the opportunities coming your way. I mean, do you like I, I think all of us, I have certainly gone through that before. Right. Did you have any of that going on in your head or were you just so mentally strong at that point that it was kind of like you were on CLT mode where you're like, OK, reset, move on?
1: Yeah, I, I was something shy of that. I, I, I definitely I did not struggle about my abilities and what I can bring as a coach, uh, being able to teach the game being able to recruit, you know, getting in, you know, getting into a a, you know, a a kid's home, talking to he and his parents, building a relationship with the kid to uh, help him fall in love with, with the school that I'm working for. That was not the hard part. Being out on a recruiting trail, I love that. That was one of the best parts about being an assistant coach. Being an assistant coach is going out and finding talent saying, I I know what my head coach wants to do. I know how this kid would fit into my program. I know the things as I start to build a relationship, what would be salient points for him to start, you know, making this university the number one priority and, you know, number one choice. You know, my point was, I wanna be, where I walk in the gym, I wanna have a name on my shirt that was representative of my skills. And I thought that for me, my goal, again, my goal was to be at a top five conference uh, school and to be a major player team that's going to go to the NCAA, you know, tournament, have a chance to go every year because that's what I wanted as a player. So I wanted to continue that as a coach. And I felt like my skills were good enough, but it was just my networking to be able to get to a, a school that would help me to help me achieve my goals. Just get me in the door and I know how to I know how to, to help you win. Get me in the door, give me an opportunity. Now I've reached a goal and I'm gonna work my tail off to 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 stay in that position. I just wasn't able to do it in a short time. And I just didn't have the tolerance for understanding how it wasn't about your talent. It wasn't about what you bring. That's just, you know, that's secondary. It's you know, can I trust you on this on this staff and are you gonna work hard for me? And I wasn't able to do that in a short period of time. So I was out.
0: And then what was the next step? Where did you go from there?
1: I, I fell into fundraising back at, uh, at UVA. I, you know, I was disgruntled at the time. I talked to quite a few people. And I forget, I was uh, on the recruiting trail down and we went to Fork Union. And I was hanging out with uh, assistant coach Scott Cherry. He was assistant coach at, uh, where was he at the time? I can't remember. Anyway, we were both at in Charlottesville and UVA was playing North Carolina. Scott Cherry played at North Carolina and I called Dirk Castro and I say, Dirk, I'm, I'm over at Fort unit. I'd love to come over to a football game today. You know, while I'm close to Charlottesville, he said, yeah, I'll leave you too. So Scott and I said, Scott, you want to go? He's, you know, you, you know, UNC guy. And, uh, Scott and I went over to the game and hung out in the suite and talked with Dirk. And I, I just and I talked with Mike Frederick, another imp. So here's the here's the networking. Here's the how you know chance played a, a role into my next step. I'm talking to Fred He's and how's coaching going. I said, Fred, I gotta be honest with you. I'm a little disgruntled with this profession. You know, all the reasons I just shared with you can't move, make the, the 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 vertical move, all of those things. And he said, Ted, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but have you ever thought about fundraising? I said, to be honest with you, I have not. But he said, you know, just think about this. What do you do on a regular basis? You go out, you recruit kids, you build a relationship, and you talk to them about, and you try to convince them that at the time where I was, Wayne and Mary is the best place for them to go. Great school, you talk about all the great things about it and they figure out whether or not they want to go there. With fundraising, it's different. These guys, these people who you're talking to and have to build a relationship with are already vested in the university because they're already giving or they're thinking about giving, but they have an interest in, Your product, which is the University of Virginia. You're affable. You know how to speak to people. You know how to be engaging. You know how to be funny. You can build relationships without really working at it because that's who you are. That's what you do. And let me remind you oh, yeah, you got these things called weekends that you might enjoy because you don't have those when you're coaching. You know, your time has been built up for 10 months out of the year. And I looked at him, I said, Fred, he said, Look, we've got a couple of positions, and I'll be honest with you, we're asking. For money from people who do not look like me, they look more like you, and we don't have the relationship, and they have we haven't built that trust. He said, "No, I'll be honest. I'll be lying to you if I didn't tell you that's a part of the deal." Started those conversations two months later. I'm back at the university, and I'm out of coaching. I left in the beginning of my second year at William and Mary.
0: You know, and one of the things I love about your story, which I know you're going to get into, is you got back to the university working in the athletic department, but then it took a turn and you started doing some work on the Ridley Foundation, which was awesome, right? Am I right about that?
1: It was, it was a great experience. It was a little bit of a, you know, it was a huge leap for me. I'd only been in development for a little over two, little over two years, not quite three years. And a few contemporaries uh, of mine from my class and people I had started to build a relationship with were on the board over at the Ridley Foundation. They had a departure from their director of development and were kind of revamping, excuse me, uh, that wasn't director of development at the time. They, they, They revamped the structure of Ridley and were going to hire their first director of development. And they thought that I would be a great person because I had, built relationships around grounds in development. They had a problem with their, with my predecessor with the, with them. She had kind of damaged relationships around grounds. And they said, Ted, we think you can repair those. We think you can do this. Oh, by the way, we're in the middle of a $5 million capital campaign. And I'm like, what? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm working on UVA's, and the, you know the the VAF had a a part of the three billion dollar university wide campaign, but to be director of development running a five million dollar campaign after less than three years of experience in development, I was like, what in the hell am I thinking about doing this? Like, I could have a huge egg on my face, but um, I like the challenge. I like the opportunity for professional development. Mm-hmm. You know what? Can't, don't be afraid to fail if it doesn't work out. But go in there. Don't don't think about failing. Figure out how to map out a plan to to get to this end game and exceed the expectations. So, I was able to do that in less than the time allotted. So, uh, you know, great professional development for me. Great experience working in another aspect of the university that, as athletes and African American athletes, we don't always kind of participate in. Um, and I saw the university from a different place, uh, through a different lens, working with Ridley.
0: Yeah, but then you wound up in the middle of that, getting yourself back involved with the basketball program, right? Weren't you doing some analyst work and stuff?
1: Yeah. Like yeah. So this, this uh, you know, Corey Alexander, my teammate, had been, you know, the voice. And he was, he had his own agenda. He wanted to get on TV. He wanted to aspire for bigger opportunities, more compensation. Uh, For me, it was just about the love of and the opportunity to get on the radio. And God, I was so bad my first year. I was so bad. Like I remember my first, I came down for like the blue-white scrimmage, and I was so not, you know, I was timid about hearing my voice in the headphones and what I was saying. You know, I hate listening to my voice. And I was just like, I didn't talk loud enough, and they were, they were encouraging me the first time. They're like, "Look, dude, you have to talk louder." It's almost like we have to make you shout so that you come across during this broadcast. Um, but yeah, I, it was it was really cutting my teeth. But I was excited about the opportunity. And when Corey stepped down, I was told him, "I said, look, if you step away, let me know because I'd love to be able to interview and you know take over after you leave." And that 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 time came. I got an opportunity to interview. It came down between Jimmy Miller and I. And at the time they took Jimmy Miller, but Jimmy freshly married young family. His wife looked at the, you know, during their conversations, they looked at the schedule and they're like, wait a minute, you're going to be gone. How much? Yeah. I don't know if the timing is right. So Jimmy turned it down and then they came back to me and he said, would you still be interested? I said, hell yeah, let's go. Uh, so six seasons later, traveling around with one of the best programs in the country, getting to see some of the best games, you know, whether in wins or in defeats, it was a fantastic experience. Working for arguably, not not just because of wins and losses, but but who he is as a character, um, person, a person of character, excuse me. Uh, working for Tony Bennett and getting a chance to interview him after games and him being his – as, you know, you can. I can only imagine the guy who worked for Bobby Knight after a game, what he had to deal with, how, how thick his skin had to be. You know, Tony was gracious, you know, in, in every interview um, and, you know, patient when he needed to be. So great experience for me traveling around. Um, and it wasn't just self-serving. I think because of the name recognition, Tom, you know, Ridley benefited from me being out there. Oh yeah, Ted, you know, Ted's on the radio and he's also doing Ridley. So that helped me with the job. Tell me about the game tonight, you know, and then we get around and I'd love to get you to write a check to help support what we're doing over here. It definitely helped. It was, it worked both ways. Let me ask
0: you when you're in that development role, what, what's like a, a good check for you to pick up from a meeting like that? I think everyone always wonders, like, you know, in today's day and age, you're like, oh, you can't even get on a university's radar screen if your kid's going to college without a million-dollar check. But forget about, like, the getting the kid into college thing. Right. When you're sitting there in a development seat, like, w- what's, like, a check where you walk away from a meeting and you're like, oh, that's cool.
1: Right. So, you know, we have varying degrees. Uh, let, let me start off with the company line, you know. Every dollar counts, Tommy. it all makes you know helps the organization move. and if we had three million people giving that much, we'd all be you know reaching our goals. But you know major gifts usually start depending on and at your institution usually start at about 25,000. So if you get somebody to write a check or commit to 25,000 over a three to five year period, that's a pretty good haul you know, to get the ball started, you know, not everybody can be a Paul Tudor Jones, and you know, commit to 42 million towards a, you know, a brick and mortar campaign of $129 million. But there are some people who can commit uh, to some serious, you know, serious bread uh, to kind of help out a cause. And we're fortunate as to have so many UVA alum that uh, have done so well, been very successful, to, you know, to stroke a check towards you know supporting the university and, and many of our many of the goals that it has.
0: And then you left the university. That must have been a big change for you, right? Because you started doing work outside.
1: Yeah. It, it, again, things uh, start Ridley started to take a turn, and I started to feel it. Um, and we ended up uh, you know parting ways at Ridley. So I ended up at the Naval Academy doing fundraising there. Major gifts.
0: And then how did it parlay into where you are now?
1: Uh, two years as a major gift officer at uh, at the Naval Academy. And I said, you know what? I don't want to get comfortable. Let me, let me just see what else is out here. And I think everybody should do that. Everybody should kind of see what your value is, see what the market is allows you to do so i put feelers out there and i was actually gonna go for an interview and i'm looking on linkedin and i said all right I, i'm let me see who knows this interviewer who knows who's related you know connected to this to this interviewer and i see a friend of mine um, who currently works at united negro college fund so i gave and i just hit him up on linkedin and i said hey do you, I see you're connected with so-and-so from this organization. I'm going in with an interview. Can I get 15 minutes to talk to you about, you know, this person, see what they like, tell me about the organization. And, you know, my colleague who now my colleague said, hey, you know, Ted, I don't know what you're looking for. He said, first, I'd be happy to talk to you. I think she's a great person. I think you'd be, you know, you would enjoy working there, working for her. But they also said, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't you know, ask, you know, what are you looking for? I don't know what you're looking for, but we have a few opportunities open here at the United Negro College Fund. Would you, you know, be interested in, you know, submitting your resume? And I, I can push it forward. Again, this is the type of networking that happens. It's all less than six degrees of separation. So although I'm going for a different opportunity, I run into the colleague by just reaching out they extend this opportunity I had no idea about and you know they brought me in they called me within two or three days the you know UNCF and were bringing me in to interview for three different positions because of my background and I had a choice of the the ones to choose from so I chose the major gift opportunity and you know here I am
0: two almost three years later that's cool that's really cool. That's some path, man. It's, yeah. so it's a consistent path. It's consistent. And it sounds like the wor- one of the words of wisdom that you would give the imps today's imps is about the networking part of it. Right. I mean, you could probably give a whole hour long talk to them on that. Right. Yeah. Hey, just
1: think about it, Tommy, our relationship, you know, we, you and I play different sports yeah, and, you know we hung out with each other during our time there at different parties but you know you and i didn't call each other up and say "Hey, let's go hang out at the you know let's go shoot some hoop at the dell or let's go over to the corner and hang out but we were all interwoven with one another as athletes and you know with as imps you know this but it's these relationships these periphery relationships i always tell people get to know the guy that you're sitting next to in class Get to know the guy that you sit next to in the library or whatever, because you never know where they're going to end up. You never know how they may your past may cross again to be able to provide some opportunity get to know somebody and say, you know, I know so-and-so that might be able to help you with that, or you can bless them with an opportunity from somebody that you know. And, you know, it's been great reconnecting with imps now during COVID. Uh, and finding, just really just catching up. But then when you think about, all right, what are they doing? And is there an opportunity for networking and for, you know, maybe starting something or helping me with something that I wanna do or, or if, if I can help them with something that they're doing. It's, it's just phenomenal, but networking, absolutely. Uh, and I'm so fortunate to be able to have established so many great relationships from the University of Virginia um that i still hold do uh still hold true to this day
0: yeah and you think about it nowadays when you walk into a room for like a meeting let's say you Mm -hmm. have a meeting everyone has got their device and they're looking down on it and there's none of that interaction that happens and i was telling my son my son who started college this year i said to him look when you're walking around like and you pass somebody just say hey what's up right It's funny because I did that and I don't know where I learned it from, Mm -hmm. but walk around the university and say, Hey, what's up to people I didn't even know? Right. What happened was you would meet that person somewhere else and they would think, Oh, oh, I know this guy. Yeah. They know me. I just passed him one day and said, Hey, what's up? And there's like that art of like just like kind of being open and receptive to like meeting somebody or learning about somebody or. Right. Talking to somebody, it's like it's like a little bit of a lost art right now. A little bit.
1: It really is. And and as athletes on high-profile teams, you know, you're you're the the goalie for arguably one of the best periods in UVA soccer history. And and forgive me for not knowing the exact stat, but I know you had. Was it two major stops or two like defended two goals yeah. that helped save the the you know I, I'd love for you to talk about that a little bit more to clarify that for me but you know you have star status at the university because that guy you walked by and said hello to probably was an avid fan or knew who you were more so than you knew who he was and that made it made a difference in their lives and you know you might get an email or a text from them later on in life. Tommy, I don't know if you remember this, but you were walking across grounds and you said hello to me. And I just thought that was the coolest thing because you didn't know at the time I was one of your biggest fans and I always, you know, love watching you. You know, that type of stuff, man, makes a difference. So, you know, being in your in your phone, there's nothing wrong with it, but just don't let it consume your life. Get out, meet people, shake hands, have a conversation look at some of the topics on your phone that you're reading about and have a conversation with somebody on, you know, around the university, get involved with groups, you know, that I, I can't stress it enough, man. You know, that it's a game changer when you think about the possibilities because you never know
0: who you're meeting and you're there's you, what you do know. There's somebody who's always watching. Yes. That is a hundred percent. I tell my kids all the time. You never know when you're auditioning. Yeah it is right yeah. and i remember from my soccer career i must have been like 15 years old how mm-hmm. that kind of discovered yeah at a random field playing and not knowing who was on the sideline watching and then yeah. i wind up being this national team coach and then things took off i tell my kids that all the time you never know you got to act as if yeah right just make a list of that how old is your son now
1: 14, headed to 15. He's a freshman in high school. You know, right now, he's he's a good-looking kid, too. Might, like, again, thank God for his mom on that one. But, uh, you know, um, he is uh, he's a really good kid. And, and girls are interested in him, but he's just kind of focused right now. Or he's lying to me, one of the two. But, you know, he's just a uh, – he might even be clueless with regard to that stuff. So we got to have that other conversation. We knows – you know – We've already been through the birds and bees and all that he's super smart that he knows all about that but it's just hey son you you know you're you're playing sports people they watch you and they watch how people gravitate to you much like your dad you know just learn how to navigate those waters and see the the wolves and sheep's clothing and, and and be authentically you but you know I always tell him advocate for yourself and and be true to yourself. Um, but remain humble through the whole process
0: yeah we got to find him to some way to get him to UVA
1: <laughs> I have a lot of choices that boy yeah yeah he's he's a freaking Duke I mean he rides for Duke so hard it's, I'm, I'm, I'm so disappointed in myself that he is such a Duke fan but uh, you know what can he do
0: I haven't had a lot of failures do you like consider that one of your failures as a parent
1: biggest yeah. biggest failure of my life yeah. didn't make the NBA a failure have a son that is ruined for duke might even surpass that
0: Man, you've had a crappy life man
1: yeah it's, it sucks being me i don't even sucks
0: being me, me. no why i'm still friends with
1: you <laughs> you had you had nobody else to get on the, the <laughs> podcast when you need you, you need a, fl- a filler
0: so you're slumming with me to that Right, right. It's, I got to gravitate to anyone who will hang out with me. <laughs> the list is short. The list is short. Yeah. And, you know, um, the imps brought us together plus the athlete thing. Do you remember how you got inducted into the imps? What was
1: yeah. That? Yeah. I'm second year. Um, I'm living across the street. We're looking at living in a basement apartment. Uh, they call it the basketball house. I and mean, you probably remember it. And it's right across the street from Brian Hall.
0: Yeah, no. I had the house... Right on the other corner. It was right across from Brian Hall, right? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, and yeah.
0: Yeah, I know what that is. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I hear you.
1: Women, we were neighbors, and I
0: never knew this. Yeah, because I didn't invite you to any parties. That's, yeah, that's infringing on my ability to get women. Like you, know, you don't, you don't bring the fox in the henhouse, man.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm in there one night, and I think I want to say it was, was Jared Washington. Is he an imp? Yeah. A lot, I, there's a lot of brown liquor that has passed through my in my brain that has destroyed brain cells, so I, I don't do always that good uh, with, with recalling, but I, I want to say he and Crotty came and got me and they were like, hey Ted we got a little bit of bad news um, you're being brought up on honor charges and they had me at, right away I was like, no way, I didn't cheat you know, and I, I was like well, if I did, I didn't get caught so I was like, no, nah, I didn't cheat, but all right, I'm going to go figure this out. But like, I don't want my name out there being associated. So, oh, they had me hook, line, and sinker. So we go, and then they said, "They said hey, we're going to meet kind of privately with somebody. They're going to have an off, kind of off-record discussion. And then they bring me over to the chapel. I'll see all you clowns in there, all the clowns in there. And, uh, you know, they had me fooled, but they told me uh, what it was all about. So, yeah, they, they got me good. No, that's when you... They take you to. Uh, we go to College Inn first. That College was it. Inn, okay. Yeah, College Inn. That was where it was. Yeah. So then everybody was in there.
0: By the way, they. I think they now go to this place called the Mellow Mushroom. It's a pizza place, and I was there a couple of weeks ago in Charlotte. Yeah. Oh man, that pizza! I might say that it blows away at College Inn.
1: No, you're 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 wrong, wrong, and you should be flogged for even saying something.
0: Well, I don't know, like. I, I, my
1: son is a fan of Mellow Mushroom. I've been a Mellow Mushroom, but are you kidding me? College End Pizza,
0: that grease that was on that thing? A good a good pepperoni pie? Well, let's see. Let's see. Wait. W- when you went to Bodo's, what was your order?
1: All right. So this is going to throw you for a loop. I wasn't a big fan of Bodo's in in college.
0: You see? Not- you just proved my point. You have no freaking taste.
1: Like- huh? <laughs> 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 You're like, slow, uh, slow, slow down. I, slow down there, Tuffy. I, what does what taste about a bagel. Like, what do you need to what do you need to be what, what discerning palate do you have to have about a bagel?
0: What are you from Maryland? Yeah, yeah I, I, maybe, maybe. You must be from Maryland, because if you were from New York, you would yeah. say crap like that. I'm so disappointed in this. That's you know what? I'm not even going to air this interview. I'm so- <laughs> uh,
1: Leave it in there. I challenge you. Now, I will say that I had a greater appreciation for Bodos once I was there. You know, it, it, it's it, you know, what is the deal saying? When in Rome, do as the Romans do, right? So when in Charlottesville, everybody loves freaking Bodos. So I used to go meet uh a buddy of mine, Michael Guthrie, you know, men's fellowship group, and and we would go in there and have conversations. Well, I'd go in there, I'd get Turkey, egg, and cheese with a little bit of pepper jack cheese on there for a little bit of hint of heat. You know, I know you're a little soft, Tom. You like you like church music, so you don't know if you can handle the pepper jack cheese. But on a cinnamon raisin, cinnamon raisin bagel. So there's a little bit of hot heat, a little bit of sweet cinnamon, cinnamon me. you know, I can't even say the freaking word. I'm so excited right now. And, uh, you know, that would be my go to a little turkey, egg and cheese bagel.
0: OK, well, you prove to our audience that, again, I am right and you are wrong. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what, all right. So what's your go to? Lots sour cream, cream cheese. What, what's your go
0: to? What are you pegging me with the New York?
1: <laughs> <laughs> you you just stood up for New York a second ago.
0: Okay. All right. All right. So like, you know, mine's more simple than you. I'm a simple guy. Okay. You're a complex guy. With, <laughs> I don't even know, like the stuff you just put on your Bodo's bagel, but none of those things go together or should ever be together in anyone's palate. No one should ever like that, but okay. And, I'm going and- to you because at the end of the day, you could kick the crap out of me. Right. So, <laughs> like, so I don't want you coming up. All- Wait a minute, didn't
1: you kick a ball for a living? Yeah. All right. So I'm I'm certain that, you know, I'd never want you to kick me in my ass right now cuz you know, one second. you're in, you're in way better shape
0: tonight. Wait a second. You got I made fun of you guys and Brian Hall one night. All of you ding-a-lings are sitting around okay, the table. You Smet Smith, I can't remember who else was there. And I was making fun of you guys about the uh, – it was probably about the NIT tournament, right? Yeah. And I, and I said, "Yeah, what's NIT stand for? Not very important tournament." <laughs> <laughs> and you got, I don't remember who it was who snapped back at me, but you said, yeah, Tom, your sport is so insignificant. You, they don't even see the national final until it's taped delayed a month and they show 10 minutes of it. So
1: definitely not me. I'm not that witty. Yeah. So it had to be half a check.
0: Yeah, it might've been, it might've yeah. been yeah, one of those guys. So yeah. So like bacon, egg and cheese, bacon, egg and cheese, man.
1: Bacon, egg and cheese. There's no more vanilla sandwich than a, Bacon, egg, and cheese. What kind of cheese? This this may this may be your saving grace.
0: No, now you want me to lie and say pepper jack cheese. No,
1: I don't. I want you to continue with this farce of a conversation about me not having any taste when I have clearly a more eclectic palate than you do.
0: You're not baiting me into your stupidity.
1: American. Look Let me guess. American cheese.
0: Yeah, American cheese.
1: Good God, man! <laughs> you are a disgrace to your. You're a disgrace to your program.
0: Bacon, egg, and cheese with American cheese. Man, I can't even talk to you anymore. I gotta wrap up this interview. The shame. You're angering me. So. I've
1: I've already been on here 20 minutes longer than I planned to. Yeah. And that was from the beginning.
0: Let's wrap it up then. Okay. You know you know is. It sucks. Yeah. I know, what, <laughs> I know what information and what words of wisdom you give to the imps because you told me that. But let's finish it up. UVA. How did that shape you today, man?
1: You know, outside of connecting me with you, which has totally ruined not only my day, but my life. Um, <laughs> man, it, it, you know, it, it's the experiences of being at UVA, the people that you met, um, the education that you got, um, you know, the in its simplest form, being able to talk about, you know, the, you know, to really delve down into Star Wars because you took cinemas as an art form and talked about advertising and, you know, some of the, you know, the cocktail conversations somebody picks up on. You know, it's it's the feeling that you get when people, you know, clutch their pearls when they, when you, when they ask you where did you go to, to college? And you say the University of Virginia, and they, you know, their head jerks back and I like, go, Oh, what a great university. I love the grounds. I love the campus. And then you get the chance to correct them and say it's the grounds. You know, that's just the air of being a UVA alum, you know, correcting them more when they say, uh, what did you do your freshman year? Is that my, well, my first year. You know what I mean? So it it's that, you know, that BS. But you know, more importantly, the relationships that I have with friends, um, you know, um, just spending time in Charlottesville in those four years it was a special was a special time, I don't, you know. And I've taken that with me, and kind of, uh, you know, kept that added to what I think I already had.
0: Um, and that's about it. Let me tell you something. All joking aside, because people listening to the end of this podcast would think you and I aren't friends, right? <laughs> uh, there's a lot of respect I have for you because I knew. Um, cause you were a year or two older than me. I knew mm-hmm. the leader you are. And I saw the presence you had when we were in Bryan hall. I saw the presence you had walking around grounds and hanging out. You're just a force. And like, I just, Uh, There's a lot of honor I have in doing this interview today um, because you just, um, you get it. You're a guy who just gets it. And there's probably no bigger compliment I could give to somebody than to say they get it because we live in a world where a lot of people don't get it, uh, but you get it, man. I know you're an awesome father. Uh, I know you're doing awesome work with all the foundations and everything that you're raising money for. And man, I just like want to tell you that I have a ton of respect for you, brother.
1: Tonne. That means a lot, Tommy. I appreciate it. I really do. That means uh, that means the world to me to hear, you know, not just from you, but from anybody, you know, um, but especially you as a contemporary, uh, to hear that, you know, they respect who you were and who you are as a person uh, to be deemed as a leader. You know, we just lost, you know, one of our, you know, huge major leaders in this, for this, you know, of our lifetime in Colin Powell. You know, whether, no matter what side of the aisle you sit on, you know, politically, he was just a guy who just, he was a leader of men and he was a guy of high character. And, you know, I I, I, I wouldn't even dare say that I model myself after him, but I try to be a person of high character and I try to do the right thing and I try to, you know, do right by people um, and, and be available to people I care about and people I love, so... I appreciate
0: that compliment. Thanks for being on, my man. Imp nation. You had it. You wanted Ted. <laughs> I got you TJ. His schedule is tough to get a hold of, but I got him. Anyway, stay tuned in uh, the next couple of weeks. i got another one out. If anyone needs me for anything, you see the emails that go out, just ping me uh, my text, uh, my phone numbers on the bottom of them, and uh, looking forward to seeing you all and then celebrating the basketball season, which's just about to start, right, Ted?
1: Starting up tonight. We start playing against Navy tonight, 9 p.m. on the ACC Network. Look, I feel like I'm
0: already back on the radio with that kind of promo. Yeah, 9 o'clock. What's the chance of me staying (laughs) on Senior Citizen Hours? All right, M Nation, it's been great. Thanks so much. Love talking to you. Have a great day. Hi there, Tom here. Before I let you go, I want to tell you about my other podcast, Total Sense. As you may know, after my time as an imp, I went on to become a financial advisor. Okay, stop laughing. Don't act so surprised. In each episode, I share advice to parents about how to talk to kids about money. As a parent, I know how difficult that money conversation can be, so I hope you'll listen and find it helpful. It's Total Sense C-E-N-T-S, as in money, available anywhere you get your podcasts.